Dear congregation, let us turn in God's holy word to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll read the first seven verses. You can find it on page 1381 in your pew Bible. Hebrews chapter 11. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he, being dead, still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death, and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Amen. May God bless the reading of his precious and infallible word and also add his blessing to the exposition of it. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we contemplate Hebrews 11, then we recognize that maybe this chapter may be the favorite chapter of all of Hebrews, especially for our children and young people, but even for many of us as adults, because we naturally love examples connecting, connecting the truths of God's Word with the biblical accounts that we find in God's Word, naturally we love illustrations. And that is exactly why the author to Hebrews is setting before us the heroes of faith, or those witnesses of faith. It's very, it's very simply an effective writing or sermonizing method. And he's, he's setting before us these grand truths, and he's saying, don't draw back, but draw near to God by faith, and this is what faith is, and this is what faith looks like. So he's illustrating it for us. And these illustrations provide a powerful device, linguistic device to, to get our attention and these illustrations are some of the best illustrations because they come right out of the Word of God, the truth of God. And we realize in verse 3, when faith was defined, don't we, that faith, it has this substance, and that substance is based on the Word of God. It is by faith that we understand the worlds which were framed by the Word of God. We, we trust in the substance of faith who is God and His, His own Word. And that is to embrace a whole Christian worldview based on the Word of God. Even though we don't 
see it, even though we weren't eyewitnesses of the creation, we believe it because God's Word affirms it. And and we need to recognize as we look at these illustrations that they are grounded in God's inspired Word. The author to Hebrews didn't just say, you know, I have a good story from my life experience or from somebody else's life experience that will really motivate you in faith. No, he says, these are the heroes, the ancient heroes even of faith, that can motivate us as we are surrounded by this cloud of witnesses in the Scriptures. He says, unequivocally, from the Word of God, the inspired Word of God, by faith, Abel, by faith, Enoch, by faith, Noah. And that teaches us another thing, doesn't it? It teaches us that the Old Testament was written in order to show us God's glorious plan of redemption and that we need to be very careful of isolating certain texts and framing something of an argument based on what someone like Abel or Enoch or Noah did. And we need to recognize that it is by faith in all of these aspects of faith that are found here in Hebrews 11 are essential for true saving faith. Many times we find that, especially in evangelicalism today. It's even impacted, I would argue, um, in some of my past background, even in very conservative Reformed churches where, where they begin to moralize and, uh, the Old Testament and find all kinds of little morals and tidbits to, to show us how to live today from the Old Testament. Now, I'm not saying there isn't a time where we have to be reminded and we can be reminded to, to dare to be a Daniel or to live a life like Moses or whatever. Um, That sometimes especially can come out in Sunday school. But we always have to be very, very careful not to just see the Word of God as some kind of moral guide, but one that is showing us the very necessity of true saving faith and what that will look like in every situation of life. And so we find especially here in our context, in these three ancient saints who are set before us in verses 4 through 7, we find that they all have this unifying factor of faith. And, and even in the accounts that are inspired in the Word of God, it shows us various aspects or dimensions of that faith. For example, Abel worshipped. Enoch walked. And Noah worked. And so we find there, Abel also worked and and was walking, but his focus was on worship. And Enoch obviously walked and worshipped and worked, and and, and so did Noah. Worshipped, walked, and worked. And they all had this faith, this commonality that, that we have. And yet, we ought to also recognize the movement in our text, that movement that Abel had to struggle as one who had himself and another brother. There was one who was against him. There was one who became angry with him. And yet, he continued to worship God from the heart. 
Secondly, we, we see the movement to Enoch, who stood out in, in line, a, a genealogy in chapter 5 of Genesis. And he stood out from his family as one who walked with God, even though the rest of his family doesn't appear to do so. And then we find Noah, a descendant of Enoch, who also walked with God and worked building an ark in obedience to God, while not only his brother or his extended family, but the whole world, except for his own children, thought he was crazy. You see the movement here. A brother against a brother. A person against his family. And a family against the world. And by faith, these ancient witnesses teach us a great deal. Let's look at how these three ancient witnesses who gave various expressions of faith and how these expressions of faith endure the test of time. Faith is illustrated by these three ancient witnesses. That will be our theme. And we'll look at that in three thoughts. First, faith worships according to the Word of God. Secondly, faith walks according to the Word of God. And thirdly, faith works according to the Word of God. First of all, then, faith worships according to the Word of God. By faith, we read in verse 4, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. You see, for Abel, faith was being witnessed in a life of worship, or you could say true worship that comes from the heart. We know the story well, don't we, children, of Cain and Abel, the first two brothers, sons of Adam and Eve. Cain, he was a tiller of the ground, a farmer. Abel was a keeper of the sheep or like a herdsman. And in their work, they come and they worship God. And they worship in two very different ways. One of them brings a sacrifice from his herd. Abel brings a sacrifice of a sheep. And Cain brings a sacrifice, an offering from the field. Now, both of these sacrifices and offerings are legitimate offerings. Are legitimate offerings. And yet we do recognize that there's a difference between them. And some people make a lot of this, and I think this is maybe a, a more minor point of, of this account as to why Cain's sacrifice wasn't respected and Abel's sacrifice was. But this was the fact. Abel sacrificed a bloody sacrifice. And that was a sacrifice that God had shown already to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3 that blood needed to be shed for the forgiveness of sins. And that's also pointed out in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22. Without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And so there is this aspect of the necessity of the shedding of blood, the need of a, a sacrifice that would satisfy and make atonement for our sins. And so, indeed, Abel's sacrifice was accepted by faith 
in God's promises. However, only to consider this aspect of the sacrifice being respected is to miss a very important point. Because in Genesis chapter 4, we read that God respected Abel and his sacrifice. And God did not respect Cain or his offering. And so therefore, we recognize something, don't we? We recognize that there's a person involved and God did not respect Cain because of his heart. His heart of worship. His life of worship. And the very heart of the matter is exposed when Abel had offered up his first fruits. He had offered the first fruits to God. He offered the best of the sheep. He offered the first one. Where Cain, it said, made an offering. He gave God the leftovers of his time, of his fruits of the land. And we need to recognize this, that this is indeed the most important point here. And we really do recognize that from Isaiah chapter 1, where God is bringing Israel into his courtroom. and He's saying to, to them, you know, what have I done wrong to you? He says, I, I have... I have given you so much. And he calls on the heavens and the earth to testify against them. And he says, I, I nourished you and brought you up as children and you rebelled against me. Even an ox and a donkey, they know their master's crib, but you don't even know. You don't even consider. And then he goes on and shows how they have provoked the Lord to anger in so many ways. And then he comes to verse 10 and he says, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? Even though they would sacrifice of the the best of their goats even, or their sheep. He's asking them, what is the purpose of even these bloody sacrifices? He says, I have enough of these burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. Your offerings are like a stench in my nostrils. Your incense and your offerings are like an abomination before me. Why? Because of their heart. They did not have a heart of worship. They did not have a life of worship. That's the important part. And yet he calls them and he says, Come, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, indeed they are, they shall be as white as snow. When your heart is radically changed by my grace and you come to know that there's a blood of another to satisfy for your sins. And that heart that's radically changed, covered in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, will want to know the Lord more. That will be his life of worship, 
a desire to get to know Him better. He becomes number one in my life. I begin to love what He loves and I begin to hate what He hates. And I know that there's only one way of salvation that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. That this scarlet sinner might be made as white as snow through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, living a life of worship is not just checking the boxes in order to be right with God. No, it's realizing that Jesus Christ has checked all of the boxes. And you trust in Him for a complete salvation. And you give your whole heart to Him as you take up your cross and follow Him out of gratitude in order to be a witness of His grace and of His truth to the whole world. It's a whole heart. And it's a whole life giving of our very best to God. I can hear it already. There's a naysayer. But, look what happened to Abel. Cain rose up and murdered him. He died. How could he be a witness? Being dead. How could he live out that life of faith to the glory of God being dead? Maybe it would have been better if Abel wasn't so pious wasn't so devoted to God. Maybe if he would have just tuned down his worship a little bit, his brother wouldn't have been so angry with him. Maybe if he would have just given half of his heart to God and continued half of his heart with Cain, Cain wouldn't have been so bitter and angry, even to the point of killing him. He could have had a lot more influence over Cain, by the way. Would have God respected Abel giving half of his heart to him? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, the Lord indeed continues and further honors Abel in his ultimate sacrifice of death. His ultimate sacrifice. Notice what our text says. God, testifying of His gifts and of His righteousness, He testifies that even while He is dead, He is speaking. Abel is yet speaking today because of his devotion in worship to God. He didn't just have influence in his family. He didn't just have influence in his contemporaries. He had influence for every single family that ever lived in history. Maybe we can ask ourselves, what will people hear at our eulogy or our witness? What will be remembered for generations to come? 
Will it be remembered that this person loved fishing and hunting and sports and building his business? Or will it be this person loved Jesus? He sought to serve the Lord, not only on Sunday to worship, but through his business and his service in church and and service in community. And yet, he enjoyed God's gift of the outdoors and of recreation. Women, will your eulogy speak for generations that she loved Jesus, that she served the Lord maybe even as a single woman or potentially as a wife or a mother faithfully raising her children and bringing them to Jesus while seeking to be a witness of light and of truth wherever she goes and with whatever gifts God has given her. Christians, we need to aspire to leave behind a legacy of faith. That's what we are called to. We should want someone who is going to be presenting a eulogy not to have to lie, but rather to speak the truth with abundance and a wealth of material that praises God for the gifts that He has given unto us and the faith that He has given in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the devotion that we have had to him. Don't forget this. Both Abel and Cain speak in their day, spoke in their day, and continue to speak to us today from the word of God. Cain, who is marked to condemnation, marked for destruction, but Abel, by faith, worshiped God from the heart as a witness that he indeed was righteous. He didn't obtain righteousness by his worship, but because he was righteous, he worshiped God with his whole heart and with his whole life. And that also includes walking with God, as we see in our second point. Faith walks with God and walks according to the Word of God. Notice verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. By faith, Enoch. Really? Why Enoch? There's only a couple verses in the Bible that talk about Enoch. In Genesis chapter 5. You have this whole genealogy. And -and so-and-so begot so-and-so, and and they died. And -and so-and-so begot so-and-so, and and they died. And then we come to Enoch. And Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. And after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God for 300 years and had sons and daughters. And so all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God and died. Oh no, he didn't. I misread. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not. For God took him. The account of God taking Enoch is, is not very descriptive here. Not like when Elijah went up in the fiery chariot into heaven 
And yet, it testifies of the miraculous end of his life as a result of his faith. It was an evidence that he walked with God. Why would the author to Hebrews pick up on this? Well, don't you remember from Hebrews chapter 10? We were, we, we were exhorted to draw near to God, to seek Him for the saving of our soul and not to draw back unto condemnation. Well, it's very fitting then that the author to Hebrews would use Enoch. Enoch, drawing near to God, walking with God. You know, if you're walking with someone, that's what you're doing. You draw near to him, you walk, and you talk together, and you have fellowship together. That's really what walking is. And so when we're walking with God, we are drawing near to God. And because Enoch walked with God, it pleased him. Abel and Enoch both are confirming this. This very truth that we find in verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please God. Because faith is going to worship Him. Faith is going to walk with Him. Notice what this means. There's two truths that come out of this. The first one is this. Without faith it is impossible to be commended by God. It's impossible to be commended by God without faith. You could do everything morally right in your life. You could have an external righteousness that even surpasses that of the Pharisees. And yet, not be pleasing to God. You could be the most religious, the most moral, the most ethical person who ever walked this earth, except for Jesus. And without faith, not be pleasing to God. You could never gain God's approval through such a life. But it means the opposite as well. That when we have faith, it is impossible to be condemned by God. When we have faith, we can never be condemned by God. Think about this. 65 years Enoch walked this world and it doesn't appear as if he knew God. And then he begot Methuselah. And for 300 years he walked with God and after that 365 years of his life he was taken. If Enoch would have walked according to the course of this world for 300 years, and for 65 years walked with God by faith, he would still have gone to the Lord. Because when we have faith, it is impossible to be condemned. That's the glorious message of the Gospel. Though your sins are like scarlet, and when you know the Lord Jesus Christ, You know the cleansing power of His blood. You know the righteousness that He gives to us. Then we can know that nothing, nothing will ever separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
when there's no faith, there's no possibility of pleasing God. But when there is faith, it is rewarded because we believe who God is. Notice how he goes on to say, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. They believe in his word, which we, which we heard from, from the first three verses of Hebrews chapter 11. They believe the very first words of Scripture in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God. They believe the truth of who God is as a substance of their faith. That He is eternal in existence. He is and forever was and forever will be. He is everywhere present. He is all-knowing. He is faithful. He is unchanging. He will never let us down. His promises are yea and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. And He has promised to those who seek Him early, they shall find Him. And He promises that those who come unto Him, He will in no wise cast out. They believe His Word, His promises, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Faith lays hold of these truths, these promises, as the very substance of, their, of our faith. In that faith, it produces within us that walk with God. In the light of His ever-seeing eye, and the light of His awesome glory, in the light of Him knowing all things. Are you walking with God? Am I walking with God? When we wake up in the morning, do we say, Lord, let's go for a walk? Maybe you say that to your wife. Let's go for a walk. But do you say to God, let's go for a walk? And I don't mean going for a walk through the neighborhood talking with God. I'm saying, do we open up His Word and say, Lord, walk me through Your Word. Walk me through it. Do we come to Him in prayer and lay our, bear our hearts to Him as we walk with God? Sunday morning, do we say, Lord, let's go for a walk as we go to church so that we can walk together with all of your people, through your word, how we can sing your praises, how we can call upon your name. Lord, let's go for a walk. Let's have fellowship together. In our daily life, as we walk with God, do, do we esteem the frowns and the smiles of God more than the frowns and smiles of man. Because it's ultimately Him who we want to be walking with. When we read Amos 3, verse 3, and we ask ourselves, how can two people walk together except they be agreed? And, and I come and I want to walk with God and I know my life doesn't agree with Him. So it creates sorrow in my heart. 
Do I want to be agreed with God? Do I want to be right with God? Do I want to be on the same page as God? Do I want His Word to rule my life? Do do I really esteem God's smiles more than the smiles of men? Am I walking with God? If we disagree with God, we're not walking with God. If we willfully and knowingly walk contrary to His Word, we are not walking with God. Do we know that every single step and every single moment of our life that there is an all-knowing God that sees everything that we do. He hears everything that we say and He knows everything that we think. Do we walk in the sight of God with great delight as He conforms us to His Word and to the image of of the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ? Or do we walk with God with heads hung in shame? Knowing we've offended God. Pleading for His righteousness. And sometimes for a believer, it's, it's both, isn't it? Or maybe for you, You have no desire to walk with God. To walk with the world is just fine. You draw back from God unto perdition. There's really only two ways to walk. There's only two ways to worship. Either with our heart or to walk in agreement with God. Those are the only two positive ways to be right with God through faith. But that faith doesn't end there in worship and walking. It continues on Working with godly fear. That's what we see in our third point. Faith works according to the Word of God. And it does so with reverence and godly fear. Notice verse 7. By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his soul, by which he condemned the world, and became heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. If you read the account in Genesis chapter 6, we know that Noah also worshipped God. We know that Noah also walked with God. But we also know that Noah worked, preparing an ark in obedience to God. You see, Faith doesn't just worship and walk and talk with God. But it works in the sight of the world all around us. 
even as Noah and his family did in preparing the ark. Why did he do so? Well, first of all, he did so because he believed God's divine warning. That warning that there's a flood that's going to come to swallow up this whole world. He believed it. And he began to build the ark. He believed it because he had a godly fear. He had a reverence and an awe of who God was. He knew our God, yes, to be a merciful God, a God of grace, because Noah's very name is grace. But he also knew God was a consuming fire, as we find in Hebrews 12. He had a godly fear. Thirdly, we recognize he had a concern for his household. He had a concern for his wife. He had a concern for his children. He had a concern for their children. And so he prepared this ark with his family so that they would be lifted from the waters and saved in this ark. He prepared this ark because of his love for the world and his neighbors around him. That sounds pretty strange, Pastor. Noah's faith condemned the world. It did. It pointed to the world that without being in this ark, in the Lord Jesus Christ, we could say today, you will perish forever. You see the most beautiful passage in all Scripture, John 3, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever should believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life is also the most scary, condemning passage in all of the Bible. Because John goes on in John chapter 3 to show us that those who are not in the Lord Jesus Christ are condemned already because they believe not in this ark. Noah also condemned the world. Condemned the world by faith. And in doing so, he became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. So setting forward, be right in our, right in our midst the very fact that We are only made right with God through faith. Yes, it's impossible to please God without faith, but it's the only way to be right with God is by faith. It's not because Noah built this ark that he was saved, but it's because of his faith that he was saved. And that faith produced in him a work that built this ark to the saving of his family. He had to be obedient to the very details of God's plan to build this ark to be able to be preserved from the flood. And Noah did so because he found grace in the sight of God. He walked with God and believed in God to the saving of his soul. And because of that, he worked in faith and godly fear. Is that you and is that me? Do we really believe the divine warnings of God? 
He's coming again. And He will require of every single person, of everything they have ever done, and they will be judged as to whether they are in the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. Yes or no? Do we believe that all those who are outside of the Lord Jesus Christ will be eternally condemned to hell forever? Do we really believe that? Noah did. By faith. Do we know and do we believe that there is only one way to be saved from that eternity in hell? And that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. The antitype of the ark. That in Him there is refuge for all eternity. That in Him, when I believe in Him and I trust in Him, and when my children believe in Him and trust in Him, and when my wife believes in Him and trusts in Him, and when my neighbor believes in Him and trusts in Him, that they also will be with Him forever safe from the eternal condemnation that we all deserve. Do I believe that? And do I work like that in my life of faith? Am I putting my best energy into making sure that that ark is secure also for me? Am I laboring to lay up my treasures in the ark rather than in this world? And the world looks around and, and they see you work. Do they, do they know that there's something about you that fears God? Not just because you come to church on Sunday. That too. But do they know that in your work that you are a God-fearer? That you are uncompromising in clear biblical issues? Do they hear from your conversation in your life that your goals in this life are not about in this world, but that they are in the Lord Jesus Christ where the anchor of your hope is? Do they know that ultimately that's what you're working for is for that eternal perspective? Do, do, I, do I want to work in this world in order to condemn the world? Do I? That's what Noah did. He worked in this world to condemn the world. He didn't work in the world to make the world feel better and pat the world on the back and say you're doing a good job. He worked in the world so that the world had no excuse on the day of judgment. Because on the day of judgment, they could never say, that Pastor Scott never told me. 
He never told me that I would die and go to hell. He never told me. It's his fault. There's only one way. There's only one ark. Is that how we labor in this world? Is that how we talk to our neighbors? I'm not saying be someone on the subway station holding up and thumping the Bible and saying all sinners go to hell. I'm saying build a relationship with them and tell them the truth. There's only one way. One way. There's not two ways to heaven. There's not three ways. There's one way. And you got to be in the ark. You got to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You got to want to worship him with your whole heart and your whole life. You got to want to walk with him and get to know him better every day. You got to want to work. Laying up your treasures with an eternal perspective. That's the way that the ancient saints have shown us. You can draw near to God by faith to the saving of your soul. By faith. This chapter has 40 verses. If verse 41 said, by faith, and you put your name in the blank, by faith, Scott Dibbett, what would it say? Am I one of those clouds of witnesses? By faith, he, she, believed in the Lord Jesus Christ to the saving of his or her soul. And they worshipped and walked and worked by faith. God was pleased by their faith and rewarded them through his grace. Could you fill in your blank? Fill your name in the blank on verse 41. Amen. Lord, as we gather at the end, of your word. And we see how our lives fall short of that faith that was expressed through the ancient saints that you have given us for examples. And we pray, O Lord, that you would arrest us today by your grace to show us your divine warnings to show us the only refuge in the Lord Jesus Christ and that you would motivate us to live a life to your glory. Lord, we need your grace. We need your help. We need everything to come from you. And be pleased, O Lord, to go with us. And bless us also in a time of fellowship.
And bless us in our families today. Lord, so often we also recognize in our own families not, not everyone knows you. Even our own children and grandchildren and brothers and sisters. Maybe even our own spouse. Oh God, give us grace to compel them into the ark. There's no other refuge, O Lord. We pray that they too would be granted a heart of worship, a desire to walk with you, and a desire to work to your glory. You know our needs. You know our burdens. We surrender them to you and ask that you would be mindful of us and your covenant mercies. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us sing Psalter 381. 381 stands 1 and 3.